I also hope this week that you had a great week. I hope that nobody forgot anything important this week. Did y'all forget anything important this week? I hope not. I know there was at least more than one child who forgot to take their Valentine's gifts to school on Tuesday morning, and parents had to rush back to get those and get them to their children at school. None of you are the parents, right? I'm not going to say which ones. I'm not going to point you out today because you didn't want your child to have a meltdown, so you had to do that. We might laugh a little bit at that, but we can all have a tendency in life, can we not, to rush through life and get in this routine and something happens and we're rushing and we briefly forget everything that's important to us or, or at least forget something that's important. You ever had that experience? I, will, I won't mention any names, but I remember years ago, even here at church, after church was over one Sunday morning, we were out there, and uh, all of a sudden there was this kid, but no parents, because the parents had left the child at church. <laughs> Again, I'm not mentioning any names today, but to their defense, they are here this morning, by the way. I gave at least one of them a warning. Uh, to their defense, they had driven separately that day, and each thought the other had the child, right? And so no big harm. In fact, there's other parents here this morning that are laughing because you said, I did that before too, right? Yeah, they're not alone, so you know, don't make fun of them. And you hear that story, and again, some of you want to say, oh, I'm appalled. How can a parent forget their child, right? But again, let's all be honest that we've all had times in life where we forgot about something that was very important, and we had to say to ourselves, how could I forget that? Right? We've all been there. Now, think about even the number of college kids who, in the midst of all their busyness at college, forgot to do the most important thing. You know what that is, right? Study. <laughs> think about how many families packed for a family vacation only to get to the airport to realize they forgot the tickets. Now, thankfully today, some of you say, we don't do that, right? Because we have it on our phones today, right? But in the past, I'm an old person. That's what we did. We forgot our tickets. Man, what do you do, right? Because we forgot them back home. Think about how many parents have been so busy working, provided for their families, that they forgot to spend time with their families and create lasting memories. Think about how many couples got busy raising their children and forgot about keeping the romance going with each other. Think about how many adults have become obsessed with achieving in their jobs that they forgot to develop a relationship with people in general. Think about how many people have got caught up in living life, having fun, having experiences, but in the middle of it, they forgot about God. You see, we all can have this tendency in life to give our attention to many things, but then ultimately forget about the most important thing. In fact, as we look at our text today, we're going to look at a church located in a place called Ephesus which was a church that had become busy with many good things, but they had forgotten the most important thing. We're going to look at this church today because it's going to show us the fact that we need our first love redeemed so that we don't forget what is most important. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and turn with me to the book of Revelation. Revelation is a book that records a revelation that God gave to the Apostle John while he was in exile on the island of Patmos. Now, God revealed many things to John. Uh, he revealed things that are to come. And in fact, those items in Revelation are often the things that get most attention because people want to know. I mean, what's the end of time going to look like? And so they'll read Revelation and say, we want to know. We want to say, what's the end of time going to look like? However, as part of what God revealed to John... God gave John words to share with seven churches, letters to each church to share some personal insight and a message from the Lord. The message that God gave are messages that he intended not just for the particular churches that are named, but he intended it for all churches throughout time. 
Now, the first church that he wrote to is the one we're going to look at today is a church in Ephesus. And we might assume that since it's the first letter that was written, it's the most important. And it wouldn't be a stretch to say that because there's the assumption that, that it could be most important because Ephesus was such an important city of its day. It was not only an important trade city, but also was the location of a temple for Diana, which was considered one of the ancient wonders of the world. And without going into too much detail, which would bore you, let's just do this. Let's just equate Ephesus, let's say, with New York, all right? It was a very prominent, very important, very influential city. Now, we should also make note that because of the Temple of Diana's presence there, Ephesus was a difficult place to be a Christian in. The Christians declared that that there was only one true God and that he should be the only one worshiped and that Jesus was the only way to salvation. And so that put them at odds with those who worshiped Diana. You can read a little about how challenging it was by going back to Acts chapter 19 and reading about the difficulty that the apostle Paul had there in Ephesus. If you were a Christian in Ephesus, you were to be commended because it was tough to be a Christian there. Now, with this in mind, let's look at what John wrote beginning in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. It said, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, let me pause and say this. Most commentators believe that the angel mentioned in these verses and the angels mentioned in regards to the other churches are the pastors of these churches. The word angel does mean messenger, and based upon the context, it is believed that the messengers being written to are the pastors who are then to deliver these messages to the churches. This is how the message to the church as Ephesus starts in verse 2. He says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. As we look at this letter, God first gives to the church a word of commendation. The message of the church starts very positively. And by the way, let me just say this as a side note. A good lesson for any of us when we're dealing with people is always to start positive, all right? A good positive word never hurts anybody, all right? And so here, God even starts with a very positive word to the church here in Ephesus because they were doing many things right. First, it says that they were a hardworking church. The Lord said he knew their work, their toil, and patient endurance. The church at Ephesus was far from being lazy. Now, I don't know what all their work was and what all their toil entailed, but maybe they had a thriving ministry to the poor. Or maybe they had a soup kitchen that ministered to the homeless. Maybe they had an outreach ministry to try to stop human trafficking or support a system for widows and orphans. I'm not sure what all they had, but indeed, they were a hard-working church. They endured persecution from those in Ephesus who even opposed the name of Jesus. Not only that, they were a moral and theologically sound church. They didn't bear with those who did evil, and they made sure that those who taught false doctrine were not tolerated. They wanted to make sure that God's truths were taught. Then it was really reiterated that this church was standing firm during difficult times and doing it with patience, all right? I wonder how many of us endure difficult times with patience, right? This is a church that seemed to have it together. I mean, in fact, does this sound like a church that you wouldn't be, want to be a part of, yes or no? 
Yeah, I mean, they were doing a lot of good things. I mean, my guess is reading those verses, any believer would want to be a part of a church that is getting such rave reviews from the Lord. In fact, this sounds like the kind of church we need in our day and time as it seems to get harder today to live for the Lord. And so to have a church that is enduring and working hard is a good thing. However, God's word for this church didn't end there. Because after this word of commendation, we're going to see next where he mentions that there is a problem. Look what he says in verse four. He says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Now, honestly, there will be many who read through this text and get to this verse who then stop and cringe because you want to relate what happens here to many of your unpleasant experiences in life. This is what I mean, right? I mean, you go to get your oil changed, right? And the service manager comes out and says, good news, we have the oil changed, right? And you're excited, I get to go home, right? And then they say, but we noticed you have a major oil leak that needs to be addressed. How many of y'all ever had that experience, right? All of a sudden, the good news of the oil change being done now is bad news, right? Because they've got this major oil leak. Uh, and, and you hate that, right? Or maybe you go to the dentist and the dentist comes out and say, good news, we got all your cleanings done, right? But the bad news is this, we got a cavity that needs to be addressed, right? And we read these verses and we hear God give a good report. Then it seems like everything is changes. And we kind of, we want to, you know, we, we, we kind of want to push back because we feel like this is what's happened. We've been buttered up just a little bit so we can be told what is bad, right? Because, but because, folks, hear me, but because God cares and wants the best for us, we need to look at these words carefully, all right? Because God's not trying to pull something over our eyes. He's not trying to give us something we don't need. But because God cares for us and wants the best for us, he's going to tell us the truth. And so he's telling something to the church in Ephesus that Nay needs to hear. He's telling them for their good. He tells these believers that they have abandoned the love they had at first. What God is telling the church is they have really lost their motivating focus. You know, last week, for those that were here, remember we looked at 1 Corinthians 13. And we talked about how we can do a lot of good things, but if we don't have love, we have nothing. This church in Ephesus was most likely suffering the issue addressed by Paul in that chapter. Yes, this church was busy. Yes, this church was enduring. Yes, this church was doctorally sound. Yes, this church was moral. Yes, this church stood firm in difficult times, but they had left the love they had at first. As I had mentioned when I started this morning, we've all had those times when we forgot about the things most important. And in the case of this church in Ephesus, they were religious, but hear me, they most likely had left their love for Jesus. Instead of their passion for Jesus burning hot, they had simply become religious. They were looking the part, but not really having Jesus as the most important thing. Here is the danger in that. You ready? Hear, hear me. All right, if you don't keep the main thing, the main thing, then, then the secondary things take over and eventually keep you from fulfilling your ultimate purpose for the Lord. All right, I, I read the story years ago about a supposed restaurant in Atlanta called the Church of God Grill that started out of a mission but sold chicken dinners after church to help raise funds. As the story goes, the people liked the church's chicken so much that eventually the church stopped having services and just started selling chicken. So they called it the Church of God Grill. Now, I'll be honest with you, I've never been able to find that restaurant in Atlanta. I don't know if it ever existed. But here's what I know. If we are not careful as a church, we can end up selling chicken rather than sharing the gospel. 
If you don't believe me, do this. Go up in Lulu in Louisville because there is an old church there that is a restaurant, all right? I think it's an old Methodist church, all right? It's there. It used to be a church, and now it is a restaurant. If we're not careful, we can lose our focus. In the church, we might not lose focus to the point that we become that restaurant, but we can lose focus and become more about the things we do rather than the one we love. I see many churches today who are busy, even doctrinally sound, but have seemed to have lost the love of Jesus because when you lose sight of the love of Jesus, you lose love for other people. Ray Stedman, who was an influential preacher of the past, noted that there are at least three signs of leaving the love you had at first. Let me share those. That was so good. I thought, I just got to share this. He said, the first one is visible at first only to the individual. It's the loss of the joy and the glow of Christian life. It soon becomes humdrum and routine. You begin to feel like you've had it all already. Even the church service loses its impact. It seems mechanical, routine, dull, and drab. That is a sign that you're beginning to lose your first love. Second, you lose your ability to love others. One of the great revelations of the scripture is that the reason we love others is because we have first been loved ourselves. And when we lose that consciousness of the wonder of Jesus's love, we also lose our awareness of others and find our love for them fading. It is difficult to love them. We become critical, censorious, complaining. We begin to choose our friends more closely and only associate with those we like. We lose the compassion that reached out to everyone at first. Then third, we lose a healthy perspective of ourselves. We become more and more important in our thinking. Instead of what the Lord wants and what will please him, we begin to think of what we want and what will please us. Gradually, we become sensitive and touchy, unable to bear criticism. This begins to make divisions and often schisms in a congregation. Individuals in the church are no longer interested in evangelism. They are no longer concerned about those around them without Christ, but are focused on themselves, their own comfort, their own pleasure. Self-centeredness sets in. I believe as I read that to you, I think what Ray Stedman shared is true. There's definitely a danger if a church loses the love it had for first for the Lord. Because when you stop loving the Lord, you eventually stop loving other people. This church out of Ephesus needed these words, and we need to also be asking the question as individuals and as a church family, do we need these words? We have to ask the question, have we left the love that we had at first? If we have to, have to, we need to deal with this even in our own life. We have to ask the question, do we need to redeem our first love? Do we need to get back to that? Now, here's some good news. God didn't just bring up the problem without giving a solution. Isn't it good to have a solution when we see there's a problem? Well, here was God. He said, I got this against you, all right? You have left the love that you had at first. And then he says, let, let me go ahead. In fact, let, let me give you a, a solution. In fact, in these next verses, we're gonna see exactly how you recover if you've left the love you had at first. Look at the words that God shared next through John, beginning back in verse five. He says, remember, therefore, from where you've fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now, in the first part of this verse, we see a three-step process for overcoming the failure of leaving your first love. The three steps are simply this, remember, repent, and redo. First, it says remember, all right? Let's remember, remember from where you have fallen. I'll remember this. I remember when I first fell in love with Kim. All right, honestly, at the time, I probably really didn't even know what love was, but when I began to love her, I can tell you it was exciting. It was. 
Before I knew that she loved me, all right, I fell in love with her. And before I knew that she loved me, I'm going to tell you, I did anything in the world I could to get her attention. I'm going to be honest with you. There were times I think I acted like a fool because I wanted her to notice me. I'm sure nobody else ever did that but me, right? But I, but I did whatever. I, <laughs> yeah, Robbie, you never did that, right? I'm sure, all right? I, I did everything I could to get her attention. Now, after I knew that she loved me too and we started dating, I wanted to spend every moment I could with her. I took advantage of every opportunity to show her I loved her. I wouldn't have led a Valentine's Day without her receiving something from me. Then her birthday and Christmas would always be reasons for me to show her that I loved her. When love is new, you have a tendency to act passionately, right? You might even remember what it was like when you got your new puppy, right? And that excitement of having that new addition to your home and how you always wanted to play with that puppy and cuddle it. All right, you, you might remember how much you loved your new home or your new car and how you so carefully wanted to take care of them, not wanting to put any marks on the wall or how you didn't want the car to ever get dirty. You might wash it twice a week if you needed to, right? Th things when they are new get extra attention and they get devotion. I, I think all of you know what I mean, right? Shake your head this way. I've been there, we, we know it, right? I believe we all can confess that when the newness wears off, though, we have a tendency to neglect those same things. You're going to have the tendency to take for granted the person that you love. Special occasions can come and go without fanfare, and you don't fight for that time together anymore. The puppy that once you couldn't do without, now you wonder how you, what in the world you ever did by getting them, right? You know what I'm talking about. The house, I mean, the walls, I mean, they've not been painted in 10 years, so no big deal if you put another scuff on the wall. I mean, the car, I mean, I hope it rains so it gets washed. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. I know these, these examples are not true for everyone, but you do get the point. Unfortunately, hear me, unfortunately, this can happen in our relationship with Jesus. In these verses, believers are told to remember from where you have fallen. All right, remember from where you have fallen. For those in Ephesus, if you go back and read Acts chapter 19, you'll see when those in Ephesus came to faith, great things happened. Lives were radically changed. Evil practices ceased. False worship was put aside. No doubt in Ephesus, when the good news of Jesus Christ took hold there, there was a passion for serving God, even though they were living in the shadows of the temple of Diana. There was a passion for serving the Lord. These verses call us, call you to think back to the way it was when you first gave your life to Jesus. Do you remember? Let me ask every one of you. Do you remember what it was like when you first gave your life to Jesus? Now, as some of you are thinking, let me say this. If you're here this morning and say, no, I don't remember what it was like when I first gave my life to Jesus. Maybe today is a day when you need to meet Jesus as your Savior and Lord. All right, maybe today is a day. If you can't remember a time when you gave your life to Jesus Christ and you can't remember what it was like to be forgiven of sin and you can't remember what it was like to have a new life in Jesus, I'm gonna invite you to the end of the service today to come and I want you to meet Jesus Christ because he loves you and he wants a new life for you. But if you're here today and you say, yes, I've given my life to Jesus years ago, I want you to think back. Do you remember what it was like when you gave your life to Jesus Christ? You see, when a person experiences the forgiveness that Jesus brings, there's a great feeling of relief because your guilt is gone. 
There is this feeling of joy knowing that you have eternal life and the promise of heaven. There is a sense of peace knowing that God is at work in your life. And then there is this overwhelming desire to do God's will. You want to be at church. You want to know his word. You want to know his will so that you can do it. This is accompanied by a joy in serving the Lord. You look for opportunities to be involved with ministry. You don't mind sacrificing your time to be a part of what God is doing. You even find great joy in being generous with what the Lord has given you financially. Do you remember those days in your life? Everybody wants to be quiet. Say, I don't know if I want to confess I remember that day, those days, right? Uh, if you don't remember, again, I give your life to Jesus, but so many, here's what we do. So many people today want to equate church attendance, sometimes even church membership as having a relationship with Jesus Christ, and that is not necessarily the case. You can be active in church and not know the Lord, all right? So again, if you don't remember that time, listen, you need to give your life to Jesus today. But again, if you're a believer, I want you to think back. What was it like to have that joy? I want you to remember that because maybe today is a day you need to get back for those, all right? For those that say, I do remember that joy, let me ask, okay? In fact, let me just put it to you plain this way. Do you still have your joy? Has that joy for the Lord diminished? Is serving the Lord now more of a burden or a passion? Is coming to church more a routine than it is an anticipated encounter with God? Is giving to the Lord become a begrudged act rather than a joyful participation in the Lord's work? You need to ask yourself these questions, and unfortunately for many today, I believe we would have to say, as he said to the church, or God would have to say, as he said to the church in Ephesus, you have left the love you had at first, Okay. So step one is remembering from where I've fallen so that you can do step number two, which is repent. Look at it again. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent. Now, nothing fancy here. Just repent. All right. It's not fancy, but I hope you don't overlook it. In fact, one commentary as I was studying this week, when I got to this part of the scripture and got to repent, all it was was a casual mention of repent and moved on. Didn't talk about repentance at all. And I thought, why would you not do that? Is it maybe the commentator thought, oh, everybody knows what it means to repent? I don't know. But folks, I'm going to tell you, I don't want you to read this text and get to the word repent and let it be something casual that you just read and you nod and say, yeah, and you look over because I'm going to tell you, repentance is key to the life of a believer. What does repent mean? Before I even answer that, let's understand that in the text, the word repent is an imperative. In other words, y'all know what an imperative is, right? Imperative is something that should not be optional. It is a command of the Lord. It is not as if God is saying, well, if you want to repent, that's great. If not, that's okay too. It's not what the Lord's doing. I will say this, God's not going to force anyone to repentance. That's not how our God works. But you need to understand God is commanding us to repent. And if we fail to repent, it's going to come with consequences that we're going to talk about in a moment. But this is a command of the Lord. Therefore, we should take the call to repent seriously, even though it is one simple six-letter word in the text. In the Hebrew, the word repent means a change of action. While in the Greek, it means a change of mind. In truth, repentance involves both. Repentance involves one who may be seeing things incorrectly or thinking about things incorrectly, changing his view or thinking to God's thinking, then in response to change one's actions in order to come in line with God's will. We might say it's a change of attitude that results in a change of action. 
Repentance is when people change their priority from self to having God be the priority. Remember from last week, we mentioned how you can do many good or appropriate things, but then do them for selfish reasons. Instead of having actions driven by self, God wants us to be driven by him and our pursuit of him. This focus is important because if we fail to pursue God as a priority, what might be right actions now in your life will eventually become simply self-seeking actions. God desires all people to experience repentance because if we don't repent, we suffer. In fact, in Ezekiel 18, we have these words from God, verses 21 and verse 23. He says, but if a wicked person turns away from all his sins that he has committed and keeps all my statutes and does what is just and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? Now, when I read those verses, here's what I know. God wants everyone to live, all right? God wants the wicked to turn and repent so that they do not suffer and instead they experience forgiveness and life. Y'all get that? Now, this focus is maybe what many of us think about when we think about repentance. We think about wicked people turning, right? Go ahead, shake your head this way. We often think wicked people turning. However, right after these words, God had a call to repentance directed not at those so-called wicked, but instead directed at his people, those who should be righteous already. Listen to what he says back in Ezekiel 18, verse 30. He says, therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel. You understand that's God's people, right? You, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, declares the Lord God, repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed and make yourself a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord. So turn and live. You see, God knows that even the righteous can suffer from sin and therefore he wants his people to repent. When they have gotten off track, he wants them to come back. He wants his people to fall on their faces before him, confessing their sin, desiring a new heart and a new spirit so that they can live. And again, hear me, okay? When we often hear repent, we're thinking the first part of Ezekiel, we're really thinking the wicked return, but God's saying, no, I'm talking about my people return to me. When we think about Asbury College and what's happening there, you understand, I hope you know this, right? That is a Christian college, Right? So this is not like God's moving in the mist right now, at least of an ungodly university. It is a university that declares Jesus Christ, Lord, as as its Lord, as its direction, as its center. And where is God moving? In the midst of his people to bring them to repentance. Do you hear me? That's where it's going to start. And if we want hope for our world and and, and our communities, it's going to begin when God's people says, no, it's not about the wicked turning and repenting, but it's about us repenting and turning from our sin and us getting back to our first love. God's telling us we need that. That's what he's saying in Revelation. We, God's people, who have left the love we had at first, need to repent and come back to God. Now, after we repent, what do we do? We redo. We go back and live like we lived when we first came to know the Lord and served him with excitement, joy, and passion. Look, again, verse five, remember therefore from where you've fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. You know, folks, sometimes, sometimes we wanna make the Christian life so complicated, but it's really not. If you have lost your way or lost your joy in the Lord, 
And simply remember what it was like when you first came to love the Lord, repent that you have left that love and turn to other things, then go back and redo what you did when you first came to the Lord. It's not that hard, right? Begin again to worship with passion. Begin again to read your Bible to learn more about God. Begin again telling others what God has done for you. Begin again serving the Lord with gladness. Begin again giving to the Lord's work with joy. Go back and redo what you did before. Not that hard. If you want to know whether it's really important or not to experience this renewing and redeem your first love, look at what verse 5 says. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, okay, wonder if I don't do this. wonder if I don't go back and remember. wonder if I don't go back and repent. wonder if I don't redo. wonder if we don't do these things. If not, God says, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. If we as a church fail to redeem our first love, if we fail to get back to loving God as we did at first, if we fail to get back to loving others as we did at first, then the lampstand will be removed from its place. And some of you are going to say, big deal, Brother Scott, we have LED lights these days. All right. Well, I want you to see what it's saying correctly. I didn't mention this earlier, but in context, the lampstand, hear me, the lampstand represents the church who is a light shining in the dark world. So do you understand what it's at stake for God's people to have a burning love for God? If we fail to love God as we should, instead of there being on the corner of Springfield Road and Valley Creek Road, a church called Valley Creek Baptist Church, we might find a place called Valley Creek Bar and Grill. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I'd much rather there be a church. How about you, all right? I hear a few amens, so you're agreeing with me, right? If so, we better make sure that we check our lives, and if necessary, we need to remember, repent, and redo. Now, he moves on very quickly and does another quick commendation, again, about them recognizing that the Ephesian church doesn't just accept any philosophy because they hate the Nicolaitans, or how you say it, Nicolaitans, which God said he hated too. God ends this message to the church in Ephesus by saying this in verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So listen up. If you have an ear, listen today. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. God has a great promise for those who love him and those who heed his word that he will grant the right to eat of the tree of life, which is, is with God in his paradise. I believe we could all say, that sounds great to me. How about you? We should all strive to let God be first, to ensure that someday we get to be with God in heaven and eat of the wonderful tree of life. So let's make sure today that we have kept the main thing, the main thing. Let's make sure that we have not forgot the most important thing and let other things take its place. We should know that the most important thing for us today is to love Jesus with all of our hearts. Right? In fact, we, we know what God wants from us. We know what he's calling us to do first, right? In fact, when Jesus was asked, all right, what, what should I do more than anything else? What what did he tell us in Mark 12? And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Didn't he tell us that's what should be our first love? That should be what's most important to us, that we love God with all those things. Let me ask you today, are you doing that? Because most of you know what came after that. I'm not putting it on the screen today, but you know he followed that up with the second thing that comes after that is then that we love our neighbor as ourselves. 
When we love God right and we make him the priority, what he then helps us do is to love our neighbors. And again, there's a lost and dying world that needs the love of God's people shining bright in this world. And it's going to start with us getting back to loving God the way we ought to love him. So here's what we're going to do today. Let's make sure that we take this time to make sure that God is our first love. And if today we have left the love that we had at first, why not in this moment? Why not as we have a time of invitation right now? Why don't we take time to remember? You might not even sing a single, sing a single word of this next song, but you need to take time and say, I remember what it was like when I started walking with the Lord. I remember the joy I had. I remember the passion I had. I remember how I loved coming to church. I remember how I loved reading his word. I remember how I loved serving him in many different ways. You say, I remember that joy. And maybe some then need to repent to say, that's not where I am today. Because coming to church is a drudgery. I don't ever pick up my Bible and read it. I'm not volunteering in any ministry. I just find no joy in the Lord. Why not repent of that? It's okay to repent. It's a good thing to repent because God's ready to restore you today. And then when you repent, just simply redo. Let's go back and do what you did. And I'm gonna tell you, no better day than today to start, right? So we're gonna have this time of invitation. I don't know what you need to do. Again, there are some this morning who, again, you don't have a memory of what it was like to follow the Lord because you have never given your life to him. I'm gonna encourage you, come today and meet this Jesus who loves you. We've sang about him. There is no name like his. Jesus is the only one who died for your sins. He wants to forgive you today. He wants to give you eternal life. Why don't you come and find the joy of being forgiven? There's something about having your sins forgiven that you just can't explain. If that's you, you come today. I'll be over here to this side. Jacob will be over here. We'd love to talk with you about how you can give your life to Jesus Christ. You come this morning as we sing. But for those who are believers here today, if you would say, I have, I'm one of those who I've left the love I had at first, let today be the day that you remember, repent, and redo. And you come to this altar as well, coming before your God, saying, God, I confess, I've left you, and I'm ready to come back. Would you pray with me, Father? Again, as we come to this time of invitation, we want your spirit to move in these moments. I'm thankful that you are a loving God and a God who, in your word, writes these messages so that we would hear what is good and right for our life and so that we might even turn to you or turn back to you. And so, Father, this morning, I don't know what you want to do in this place, but, God, I know that you want to work in hearts, you want to work in lives today. And I pray that you'll move and I pray people will respond. I pray nothing will keep people back from doing business with you this morning, that if they need to repent, that they would come and repent before you today, falling on their face, confessing they've left you behind in this busy, fast-paced world, that they've been doing many things, but they've left the most important thing, which is you, and that today they would get their focus back to where it needs to be so that they can love you right and so then they can begin loving others right because our world definitely needs the love of Jesus shining brightly through your people. So speak to us, Father, I pray. As I pray these things, I pray them in Jesus' name, amen.